we're back. Okay, I haven't spoken to you in a bit. You know, what happened was uh, I got I got COVID and I died. This was about 11, no, this was 17 days ago. When's the last time I posted an episode? Hang on. Let's see how the numbers are doing. Welcome to Storytime with Dave. I am your host, Dave. I was clinically dead for 11 days. I died from COVID. That was on the 9th. I posted an episode on the 9th. That was three weeks ago. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was dead from COVID. And I didn't think it would happen to me. You never think it's going to happen to you. Especially because I already had it. So I thought I was safe. But you're never safe. No one is safe. Numbers are looking fine. We're back on an upward trajectory, I think. Listen, I was dead. And someone, and they, uh, there was a, you probably saw, you know, pictures and stuff. I was done. I was done for. And then someone dug up my body and gave me the Pfizer vaccine. And after, and three days later, I was alive. So, um, you know, now I think Joe Biden's actually a good president. I'm in front of my computer. Um, I, and I gotta say, he's just been doing a really good job. Joe. And I think Nicki Minaj is crazy. Okay. Hang on. Listen, we got a lot to talk about. There's, um, there's a lot going on. Oh, Academy of Ideas just dropped a new episode called The Big Lie, How to Enslave the World. I bet that's that's just crazy anti-vax stuff. I'm obviously a big vaxxer now. I got I was dead and I got the vaccine. <clears throat> and three days later I rose from the dead. I was dead for 11 days. They buried me. I'm really pale now. Like the health minister of Los Angeles. Do a Google search. Tell me what you think. She looks like a ghost. But that's because she's healthy and the vaccine's working. Oh man, there's a lot to talk about. So much has happened. You know what I'm thinking? Guys, I got to tell you the truth. I didn't really die from COVID. And... I just didn't, I just didn't do an episode for a while. So I'm sorry. I've been, it's, it's like, dude, I really got to get over, um, not recording episodes when someone's home. I just hate that they could be listening. And then I can't really get turned up. I can't get turned the fuck up and I can't be the bored man that I am. By the way, I was playing yesterday and I got three, three pointers in one game which is the most, that was a record. I went three for four. That's 75%. It was really good, and there were no black people there to appreciate how ballin' I was, which was the only upsetting part of of what took place. Everything else was great, but it was just a bunch of white boys and, like, two Hispanic. But no black people were there yesterday. Taking a sip of water, first of the episode... 
there are things that I want to talk to you about. Um, first of all, this is something that I was thinking about. What do you think about this? So we've heard of these long COVID cases, right? Long COVID. And uh, so, you know, this virus is so unlike any other virus. This is the thing, you know, you gotta, it's, it's hard. Because on the one hand, you're like, well, it's probably, uh, you know, it's like a man-made virus and it could have been a bioweapon of something of that nature. So if it was acting in a strange way and affected people in a strange way, that would be, I think, reasonable to think on the one hand. Okay. On the other hand, you have the fear propaganda and you know the ability for people to make themselves think they're sick, you know, and like hypochondria. Is that what it's called? Should I look up the word hypochondria to make sure I'm using it right? Hypochondriac is a person affected with hypochondria. Yeah, thanks for the help, Google. Uh, One who is morbidly anxious about his health and generally depressed. Notice that this is the Google definition and they say his health. Excessively and unduly worried about having a serious illness. Yeah, so, um, you know, so you're turning a bunch of people into hypochondriacs and they'll never recover from that. Some people will and some people won't. A lot of people will not. A lot of people will never recover from this and they will live out the rest of their days wearing rubber gloves thinking that will help them. They will wear a mask in the supermarket until 2057 and they, they will not help them and they will never accept the fact that it never helped at all. The maskers almost bother me more than the vaxxers because with the masks, it's like you're also degrading yourself. I mean, it's just more pathetic even. Because I can understand just being like, you know what? This is such a pain in the ass. I don't want to, especially if you live like in New York City or something like that or L.A. And you're like, you know what? It's a pain in the ass. I'm just going to get the Johnson and Johnson. I could understand that a lot more than someone who's like outdoors. There was a kid playing basketball alone wearing a mask yesterday. He was at the court shooting around on the side court by himself. He was wearing a mask shooting around younger than me. And I go, well, you're, you know, willingly degrading yourself, but it's also sad to see that because he probably like thinks he's going to kill his parents because he believes, I don't know, maybe they make him do it, but it's like, dude, come on, you're out and about. This is what kids do. You tell your parents, yes, I'll wear the mask. I'll wear the mask. And then you leave the house and you take the mask off, live your life. (laughs) You know. So what I was thinking about with long COVID, right? What could it be? Well, it could be a lot of things. It could be people, it could be psychosomatic. It could be people like in their own heads thinking that they're still sick after a really long time. That could be one of the options. Yes, definitely a possibility. What else could it be? That this is a bioweapon and that it affects people, particular people in a way that they are actually sick and they're not being frauds about it. That's also a possibility. We can't rule that out. I'm accepting that that's also a possibility. That's a real thing. But there are other options as well, okay? One could be that someone always had these health issues 
and they just never really noticed them. And then they got COVID and they're like, I always have brain fog, but it's like, did you have that before? And you just didn't put a finger on it. Maybe you just thought that that was life or they're getting like, I don't know, whatever. It could be things that were already there and that they were maybe already experiencing. And now they're just go like, because it's been, um, it's been more brought into their conscious attention that they're going, oh my God, this is, must be long COVID. And it's like, no, you're just not taking good care of yourself ever. And then you got sick and now you're noticing it. That could be one thing, but hear me out on this one. What do you think about this one, guys? Check this out. Everyone's wearing masks all day, every day. Some people literally, some people like every waking moment, they're wearing masks. They wake up, they brush their teeth, they put the mask on. Some of them brush their teeth with the mask on and just lift the mask up a little bit to spit out the toothpaste. And especially the ones who are wearing it outside, then I'm thinking like, are you literally just wearing this all day? Are you actually just wearing this all day? Like for many hours, even if you were a surgeon in surgery, because everyone goes, well, surgeons do it all the time. It's like, how often is a surgeon in surgery? Like a couple times a week, maybe at the most, they're not always in surgery. They're not just always doing surgery. And even then it's like, okay, you know, they leave the room or whatever. They change masks. I don't know. They got plenty of, of, uh, gear at a hospital, except for when they do, um, manufactured shortages to make everyone panic. So that's not even a fair, uh, comparison there, but you got people who are wearing masks all day, all day. And uh, do you think that that might be causing long-term health issues that people aren't associating with the mask? Well, no, there's nothing wrong with the mask. The masks only help. That's the only side effect of wearing the mask is that you can't get COVID. Don't you know science? Don't you know how science? Don't you know how science? Don't you know how science? Nothing bad could possibly happen from the mask. When things are exiting my body, when my, when my body is expelling things like through coughing or even just breathing, those are good things that belong back in my body. That's why my body's trying to, to get rid of them. I also eat my poop. That stuff's supposed to be in my body. Why is my body trying to get rid of it? It's good for me. I didn't mean to snap at you like that. Listen. That's exhaust. Like you got to think about it like that. Now, obviously what you're breathing when you're just breathing, maybe it's not like, I mean, it's carbon, right? It's carbon dioxide. I mean, it's other things. You don't just breathe in oxygen and you don't just breathe out carbon dioxide, but that is the chemical reaction that takes place within your cardiovascular system, in your lungs and in your heart. It is converting the intake of oxygen into the output where you're expelling the byproduct of the chemical reaction, which is carbon dioxide. So it is supposed to leave. And obviously the masks, like they, they don't listen. 
they they're not effective in so many ways but some of it some of it you're going to be recycling you're going to be breathing it back in now add on top of that that you're going to be coughing well then what's in the cough i mean obviously you know why do you cough all of the symptoms of a virus or uh, allergies or whatever, all of those symptoms are literally just your body trying to get rid of some kind of toxin or something that it perceives as a toxin within your body. That's why your nose gets runny. That's why you cough. That's why you get diarrhea and stuff. That's why you throw up sometimes because your body's like, this has to be out of my body now. Now you cough into the mask and you just continue to breathe it in. How many people are regularly changing their masks? No one does that, okay? Very few people do that. And now you add on top of that, the moisture buildup in the mask from breathing on it all day, especially if it's a cloth mask, creates bacteria. And now you're breathing in the bacteria all day long, all day long. What's happening to that bacteria? It's going into your lungs. I think, call me crazy, dude, maybe these things are linked Imagine for a moment that you breathing in bacteria all day long could have long-term repercussions if you persist in that behavior over an extended period of time. And maybe long COVID is literally people just having worse off health because they're wearing a mask all day. Consider this, right? And that's on the side of the fact that the ritualistic aspect of degrading people by making them cover their faces, which feeds into this whole idea of Satanism and the power elites. We can get into it. We can get into it. We can get into it. Okay. A little bit. If you want, are you interested? Let me know. Send a donation. Venmo, David Dash Namery. We did get a couple donations in the interim, and there are some things that I need to address definitely. Um, I think... Really, I still have to just do an episode with Rachel. That's got to happen. I'm going to be home this weekend to pick up my car, so I'll do it then. Um, and then Aaron Levine, shout out to Aaron Levine. He made, a, he made a little donation, and so I'll talk about something that we were talking about on Instagram that I never got to. So we'll do that. I also, I didn't forget, Matt. Uh, Matt, I know I have to get a censored-tv subscription, and I have to watch that thing that you recommended to me, and I will do that, I promise you. Okay, I'm taking a sip of water. I just can't believe I've never heard anyone say that, that maybe long COVID is from people wearing masks every day. I mean, undoubtedly, the mask wearing is having negative impacts on people's health. How is that manifesting itself? Well, this could be one way that it is. I don't know. I don't even know how to deal with these people on the internet, too, because they just go, well, don't you wear a seatbelt? Don't you wear a seatbelt? I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that is. Uh, yes. Nice, man. Because when I when I slam into another vehicle on the highway going 60 miles an hour and I'm forced forcibly ejected from the vehicle and I roll down the sleet and slide. What do they call that? Meat slide or whatever? I don't know. There's a subreddit called like meat. 
I don't know. It's just people like crashing on longboards and skidding down the road. When that happens to me, yes, that's exactly, those are the same side effects as COVID. Severe bodily trauma, bleeding, concussion, laceration. Yes, these are very common COVID side effects. You know, I even like, I was on, I was on the, there was a post on a Jordan Peterson subreddit and someone made that argument. I was like, wouldn't you not see strawman arguments like if any place on the Jordan Peterson subreddit? I mean, look, Jordan makes some strawman arguments sometimes. I'm not saying that he doesn't, but the whole thing that made him famous or one of the things that made him famous was the Kathy Newman interview. So what you're saying is, so what you're saying is, it's like it was all straw men arguments. And then people who say they like him go, well, don't you wear a seatbelt? Why wouldn't you wear a mask if you wear a seatbelt? Like they're anything remotely similar. And you know what's crazy? You could still be against, I think it was like someone posted a video of someone getting arrested in Melbourne or whatever in, uh, you know, whatever it is, Soviet Australia. I mean, it's even worse. Like, you know, authoritarian Australia where people are being arrested for just walking around without a mask. And I'm like, you know what? I could be very supportive of seatbelts and not support laws to force you to wear a seatbelt. Isn't that crazy? Imagine that. I can't even believe that. I mean, I I was like, I was getting into it like, okay, if you go on the, I've been on Reddit a lot because, you know, I can't go on Twitter anymore because I got banned for life again. I don't know if I told you guys that. I got banned for life again. I think this is the third or fourth time I've been banned for life. And um, the first time around, the first time, or no, the second time I got banned for life, they banned my IP address at my parents' house. So not even anyone in my family could have a Twitter, not that they wanted one. But even if they wanted one, they wouldn't have been able to make one because it would have been on the same IP address. So then I moved to Hoboken. I'm at my new place in Hoboken. I guess new, it's not really new. I've been here for a year. But now I'm in Hoboken and uh, new IP address. So I made a new account and I got banned for life. And I have not yet tried to make a new account uh, with a different email to test and see if it is, in fact, the IP address, which was banned again. But whatever, it's good to take some time off. Oh my God, I had the best burn on Instagram. This is what I do, man. Like, now I just got to troll elsewhere. Obviously, Twitter is troll central. That's where you go to bother people. That's where you go to get under people's skin. That's where you go to have fun, to have a good time. And what do we know about trolling, guys? If there's anything I've taught you about trolling, and we talked about it, and I maybe haven't discussed it in a while, but what is the number one rule of trolling? If you're not having fun, then you're not trolling. Trolling is only occurring when you're laughing and the other person is angry. That's when you're trolling. I remember one time, this is actually a stand-up comedy bit that I do sometimes, and I'm glad I brought this up because now I'm just going to get this back in the rotation because I haven't told this joke in a long time. But I'll just give you the the short non-joke version of it. But it was one time I was driving late at night and I was just going the speed limit, 35. And this is how you troll in the car. You can troll in the car. 
You can do trolling while you're in the vehicle. It's very simple. It's very easy. I was driving at night. And you know, a lot of the times when things like this happen, it's like the person is mad at other things and they want to do battle. And that's when it's the best time to troll. Because you'll see, there was a very simple solution that this guy could have done that he chose not to do. Taking a sip of water. So look, I'm driving and it's night. And someone, and I'm going 40, I should say. I said 35, I'm going 40. I remember I was going five over the speed limit because that's usually how I drive around town. If it's a 35, I'll just go 40. Maybe a little over 40, but generally around 40. I feel like that's fine. You can't really get mad about that. I don't think anyone's getting mad about that. Most people aren't getting mad about that. So I'm just doing my part. And it's night and no one's really around on the road. It was like maybe... 12 o'clock or something like that. And all of a sudden, someone's flying up behind me. I see him in the rear view. Someone's flying, gaining ground on me very quickly. And I was like, this is going to be fun because I also wasn't having a good day. You see, this guy behind me wasn't having a good day. And I also wasn't having a good day. And he wanted to take it out on someone. And I wanted to take it out on someone. And it was the perfect storm for vehicular trolling. So he immediately just flies up and he's riding my ass and I'm going 40 miles an hour in a 35 and I feel this is unjust. You can't ride someone's ass. Like I'm talking bumper to bumper. I looked in the rear view mirror and it looked like he was in the back seat of my car. You know, like I could see his face and he was in a gray BMW, a charcoal gray new BMW. I believe it was a three series. That's the one when you get when you're not that successful. He was in a three series BMW, just riding my ass right on my bumper. And I'm going, oh my God, dude, do you even know who you're dealing with right now? I ask. And so my rule is this, when it comes to people tailgating me, and this is my rule, especially in a one lane road when they can't go around me. Now, here's the thing I was going to say, there's a simple solution. If this guy was this angry and he was truly in a rush for whatever reason, Maybe there's a legitimate reason. If there's any legitimate reason that he was in a rush, he would have just gone around me. But he didn't. Because that's not what this was about. He wasn't in a rush. He didn't have somewhere to go. This was about him trying to bother me and me doing some judo and flipping it and turning the tables on him. <laughs> because at first I was bothered. I was like, what the fuck, dude? What are you doing? I'm looking in the rear view. I'm like, come on, man. Fuck you. But then I was like, you know what? Let's just have some fun with it. He's in a BMW. He's obviously a douchebag and he obviously deserves to be fucked with. <clears throat> so my rule when I'm driving is that if you start tailgating me really hard, I will give you 15 seconds or so to stop doing that. So I'll just maintain this is the perfect example, 40 miles miles an hour in the 35. I'm just going to continue doing that. And you're just going to have to accept it and just back off a little bit and just accept what's going on here. I'm going to give you about 10 to 15 seconds to do that, to realize the error of your ways and to slow down and create distance. If you fail to do that, then I will begin to slow down gradually, five miles an hour at a time always in these intervals. So now you were mad that I was going 40, that we're both going 40 in a 35. Well now, thanks to your behavior, I'm going 35 miles an hour 
in the 35. And so are you because you're behind me and you don't have a choice. And now we're both going 35 miles an hour. And at this point, most people recognize what's going on. They say, fine, you win. I'll give you the distance. And at that point I go, you're forgiven. And I'll go back to 40 miles an hour and we're back and we're having fun. This guy wanted nothing to do with that. Okay. So he's still riding my ass. And now he hits me with a few bright flashes. He's, he flashes his brights at me and I go, oh my God, it's happening right now. And I got so happy and excited. I got so excited, like very giddy. And I was like, no way, dude, this is going to be so much fun. So I proceed to slow down further. Now we're going about 30. We're officially under the speed limit. We are officially under the speed limit. What does this man proceed to do? Bro, I'm telling you. I'm telling you the long version. I told you I was going to tell you the short version of the story. You know, like basically what happened. Okay. So he starts, listen. So he starts swerving and like sharking. You know, like the shark maneuver when they, they swerve left and right, like really quickly behind you, like a shark. Um, You know, like whatever. Um, What are you, stalking prey? He started doing that. While he's slashing the brights, I'm now in my car, I'm laughing. Like I'm laughing hysterically. This is so funny. And the final, the cherry on top. So now at this point, we're probably down to 25 miles an hour, maybe 22 miles an hour. I'm going so slow. He starts laying on the horn. He's laying on the horn. He's flashing the brights and he's swerving behind me. I don't even know how he's doing everything at once. I'm like, does this guy have three arms? How is, he, how is he flashing the brights and turning the wheel and honking the horn? It's crazy. And I'm in my car and I'm like, this is the best ever. And this proceeded until I got down to about like 15 miles an hour. And then he finally like turned off the road. The whole ordeal was probably like, dude, like, I don't know, five minutes, seven minutes. And obviously in that scenario, it feels like a lot longer. And I had... Like, I was in a bad mood until that happened, and I was, like, on a cloud. And that is the power of trolling. Why was that trolling? Because of what we just said. I was in my car, and I was laughing, and I was having fun, and I was having a good time. And he was in his car, and he was as angry as he's ever been. And that is how you troll, my friends. That is proper trolling. So remember that. When people talk about trolling, I take this very seriously. And I don't like when people misuse the word trolling and they say, oh, you're just trolling. I'm like, no, I used to even do that sometimes where I would think I was trolling, but I was angry. If you're angry, then you ain't trolling. And if you don't vote for Joe Biden, then you ain't black. Okay. We both know both of those things are true. Take a sip of water. I just spilled some water on my leg. So I've been trolling on Instagram and Reddit because I have not, I have nowhere else to troll. And Instagram is just not trollable. I've definitely talked about this before, but I know it's been at least like 80 episodes since I've talked about this. And probably a lot of you have not heard my trolling philosophy. And it's like, I could probably write like a short book on trolling. It's really, you know, and then you... Look at the work of a guy like Michael Malice if you really want to know what good trolling is. You know, that's high, high tier. That's elite trolling. And I I fancy myself a pretty advanced, like I'm a black belt. But some people are like, 
you know, fifth degree black belt trolls. Like I'm definitely a black belt, but I'm still earning my, my subsequent degrees of black belts. I'm still not fully there yet. There's still work that I can do. Michael Rappaport shared something and it was like uh, some woman at like a school board meeting and she was talking about like being against the mask mandates and the uh, vaccine mandates and you know Michael Rappaport is kind of like an NPC he you know he's like a liberal cuck right and um, so he you know he whatever they tell him to say he says it. I don't know if he actually like believes any of this stuff I I kind of assume he does. So, you know, he's just being, whatever, he's being his liberal cuck self and whatever. I commented early when he posted it. I just happened to like, whatever, I opened Instagram and he had just posted and I commented and I said um, something sarcastic. I said, wear the mask, obey, do what they say, you know, something like that. And uh, so people, I got, I got ratioed, but that's kind of fun sometimes. I don't even know if I got, like, I got, it was probably got like 20 likes and like 25 responses you know and um one of the guys because this is what they'll do especially on instagram because they can see what you do and um so inevitably they just go they go to your page and they go you're not a funny comedian you know and that's fun i like that because i don't go to their page that's the thing i just go oh i was gonna check what you do on your page and then i don't care so carry on you know <clears throat> but, um, especially cause like the people who would get so mad about a sarcastic comment like that, like don't like comedy. They don't. And as Scott Adams discusses, interestingly, even though he's been so wrong, I don't know if you guys know who Scott Adams is. He does the Dilbert comics. He's a kind of a good troll on Twitter. And, um, you know, he had some interesting takes on the whole, um, Trump election and all of that. <laughs> but on COVID, he's been so wrong and it's been so embarrassing um, that I think he's lost a lot of his uh, clout with his followers. But he's still, you know, he's still fine. He's still a fine fella. But, you know, he says, like, he always says, like, a third of the population just doesn't have a sense of humor. They just don't. And I'd say that's pretty accurate in my experience. Maybe a third, you know, I don't know. I mean, it just depends. Like, I, I don't know. I've been doing comedy a long time. And I'd say, in my experience, that's, maybe it's less, like 25%, but yeah. Because even when you're doing a show, at a comedy show that people paid for to be there, and there are people in the audience and they're not laughing at anyone, and you're like, you must have got dragged out here, right? I hope this wasn't your idea. I hope you got duped into doing this, because you clearly don't have a sense of humor. You don't like comedy. But imagine not having a sense of humor and not being able to laugh. What a miserable life that would be. So anyway, um, listen to this troll that I did. This was so good. I felt like it was so good. I kept telling Lauren about it, and I was like, this is so good. And she was like, yeah, okay, it's pretty good. And I was like, nah, 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 man, it's so good. Come on. <laughs> um, what did he say? He said... Um, he basically said, like, um, I wish that, uh, you make me wish that Hitler would have gotten all of the Jews or something like that. He said something like that. And uh, to me, that was kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, 
he that wasn't even a bad retort. And especially, you know, with my um, whatever, you know, the way I am. I thought that was kind of funny. So I wasn't mad when I see that. Some people get really offended when they see things like that. I wasn't even mad. I was like, all right, not bad, dude. We're doing battle, though. And so I responded to him, and I said, well, he also killed gay men, so you would have been screwed. Come on, dude. Come on, dude. Come on, man. You telling me that's not an amazing comeback? Well, he also killed, sh- he also killed gay men, so you would have been screwed. Dude, come on. That's not a great... That's really good comeback. That's a really good comeback. I'm just telling you straight up. You would have killed gay men. You would have been screwed. Oh, man. Taking a sip of water after that one. This is a sip of victory water. So that happened the other day. And that was fun. And um, I had fun. And that's how I troll. And I was going to get to something that happened on Reddit. But I don't really remember what I was going to say. I just tell people like, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know the maskers. It's like, I just say to them, whatever they say, they make their argument. Well, wouldn't you wear a seatbelt? Would you not wear a seatbelt? Whatever they say. And then I just go, uh, I usually, my trolling on these people on the maskers, I'll go, you take that mask off when I, when I tell you to, okay? You keep wearing that mask until I say you can take it off, bitch, or something like that. I say, you will obey me. You will continue. And they go, well, yeah, uh, well, uh, okay. I, I, well, I will wear the, I will wear the mask, but not because you said so. I'll wear it because I want to keep myself and the people I love safe. And I go, no, you're going to wear that mask because I said so, bitch. You keep that mask on your face until I say you, until I say otherwise, pussy. And they, well, no, well, I will continue to take uh, active measures to ensure that my health is, and my family, and my children, and my children will wear their masks to keep their father safe. And my wife will continue to get fucked by other men and get run trained upon by other men until to keep myself safe. And I just go, now you're wearing that mask because I said so, faggot, you know, whatever. That's kind of a fun troll. I'm, I'm way too active in the seat right now. I know you can hear it creaking and stuff. And you know, it's just like a reality of the podcast is that sometimes I'm doing it in my room and... Sometimes I'm doing it in my room and I'm sitting on this chair and sometimes I start getting all wild. Sometimes I start getting all wild and I'm moving a lot. I'm moving in the chair. If you saw me doing this, it'd probably be funny. Taking a sip. Taking a lot of sips today, but water is good for you. You should always, you should always have it. Why am I doing the podcast from my computer? Because I wanted to read something that I never read for you guys. I can't believe we never read it before. I've never read it. Did you guys ever read it? Because I never read it. And I think it would be good to read. Read it. Oh, I said it. Oh, it rhymed. Hang on. 
I never read this, um, obviously. So here's what inspired me to do this. So there's two things we should do. Hang on. Let me get it all set up here. There's two things I think that we should do. And one of them is talk about Operation Lockstep. So you guys are probably familiar with it, and I was only loosely familiar with it. I never really read it. <laughs> and I think it would be a fun thing for us to read it together here. And um, a vaccinated person is not wrong to believe an unvaccinated person is a health threat. If they're unvaccinated, they're a threat. You should respond in kind with violence. Let me see this, because this was just a fact check that I put in my notes that I was like, let me talk about this with the folks. You guys are the folks, I guess. Um, it's called Lead Stories. There's a website called Lead Stories where you got a lot of these fact checks, because I, I shared a meme and it got fact checked, because like that's where we're at. In the dystopia, even the memes can't be true. No truth allowed. No memes allowed. The memes get fact checked. Um, so this was a meme that said, if you think an unvaccinated person is a threat to a vaccinated person, then you don't believe in vaccines. Well, that would have been true before they changed the definition of vaccine. Now, interestingly, um, we can read what the definition of a vaccine is now, and you'll see, um, a vaccine is a biological preparation that provides active acquired immunity to a particular infectious disease. Wow, so they didn't change the definition on Wikipedia yet. Vaccine definition. Um, and then here we have the Google definition. A preparation of weakened or killed pathogens such as bacteria or virus or of a portion of the pathogen structure that upon administration to an individual stimulates antibody production or, cell, or cellular immunity. It can stimulate anti, it doesn't have to be immunity. It could just stimulate antibody production against a pathogen, but it's incapable of causing severe infection. Like that's not the definition of vaccine, dude. That's just, do you think that they ever would, why would they have any reason before the mRNA vaccines to put or of a portion of the pathogen structure. What a ridiculous joke that is. What a ridiculous joke that is. So, um, you know, if you thought that you are at risk from an unvaccinated person, even though you've been vaccinated, then based on the old definition of vaccination, yes, you would be you would be wrong in perceiving that person as a threat. Although, I think we all got vaccinated for chickenpox. We all get chickenpox, right? Don't you get a chickenpox vaccine? I got chickenpox. I think I got a vaccine. That's why I think like these vaccines, the vaccine is really like an injection that is intended to make you dumber. And preferably, I think, well, it depends. I think the 
the power elites, they still need people to work the machinery and stuff. So they don't want you to be a full-blown you-know-what. But if they got to, you know, you break a few eggs, whatever, scramble some eggs, whatever, I don't know. But if they get, you know, if they wind up with a few full-blowns, then uh, that's fine too. But that's, I don't think vaccines have ever been about health, but this is my, uh, you know, that's, you know, sometimes I go deep, like I don't necessarily have evidence for that, but the evidence that vaccines are harmful is overwhelming. And the only people who disagree with that are those who are, who are um, extremely, extremely invested in not believing that that is true because something, because they gave them to their children. You know, or they're just easily manipulated people. But really, that's a big one. Like, imagine giving, like, imagine you have a little daughter and she's three years old and you go get her a booster shot for something. And then next thing you know, she has these horrible health conditions. And everything starts to go haywire, like maybe a, a few days after the injection. That was your decision. That's not the three-year-old, your little three-year-old daughter. That's not her decision. That was your decision. And you got her injected with it. And even though the doctor said that's what to do, you just listen to the doctor. And now your little daughter has some really horrible health effects from that. Do you think that person's going to acknowledge that the vaccine may have caused that? Or are they going to do everything in their power to repress that in order to not feel at all personally responsible for whatever is afflicting their child? I mean, that's like that guy, Dr. Peter Hotez, who I've talked about before, who wrote the book, No, Vaccines Don't Cause Autism, or whatever. No, your child didn't get autism from the vaccine. I don't know, it's something like that. And he's like big on, he's always on CNN, MSNBC. He has, I think he has one child with autism, but he's also involved in making vaccines. So he's like a virologist or something. And he's involved in making vaccine, a vaccinologist or something, whatever they call them. He's involved in making vaccines. And then I don't know what happened. Listen, I can speculate all I want and you can't get mad about it. And that is my absolute speculation. You can't get mad about it. You can get mad about it. I don't care. He knows that his daughter or son, what, what his child got autism from his own creation. And so now he's going as far as to write books and use his quote-unquote expertise so that he doesn't have to live with the fact that he is the reason. And he is way more, um, given that he developed vaccines, he is way more personally responsible than just a parent being like, yeah, okay, you can give him the shot. I'll take a sip of water. I'm all nasally. I was feeling a little under the weather last night. So I just took some vitamin C before bed. I woke up feeling a lot better. And then I've just been taking vitamin C during the day and a little bit of zinc. And it does work. Like I feel significantly better. And just a little tiny bit, little bit, just a little bit of COVID right now. It's not as bad as when I died from it 17 days ago. Let's see the fact check. If you think an unvaccinated person is a threat to a vaccinated person, then you don't believe in vaccines. Is a vaccinated person wrong to believe an unvaccinated? 
person is a threat to their health? No, that's not true. No vaccine is 100% effective. So the vaccinated person has still a risk of infection at the time but the post period, unvaccinated people were most likely to carry the infection. During the pandemic, we had everyone right to start getting person to person. A vaccinated person could be still infected. Vaccine makers, the Center for Disease Control, the Food and Drug Administration, everyone from the Center for Disease Control, the same vaccine, this is not 100%. Yeah, it's not 100%. Is that okay that I did that? I'm sorry. The claim circulated in an anti-vaccine meme, including this version found in the June 17, 2021 Facebook post archive here under a truth caption. Oh my God, I hate. The, it's a double-edged sword with the fact-checking because the fact-checkers are the most insufferable people. They engage in such semantics. It's like that one time it's like, did we talk about this when Joe Biden checked his watch at like the funeral for those Marines? He checked his watch and the fact check was like, and then that went around, that went viral. And the fact check was like, no, Joe Biden didn't check his watch during the funeral. And the fact check was like, he actually checked it several times during the funeral. A popular meme going around about Joe Biden checking his watch during a Marine funeral is misleading. Claim. Joe Biden checked his watch during a Marine funeral. Rating. Misleading. Explanation. Joe Biden actually checked his watch multiple times during the Marine funeral. Debunked. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read. Let's see. Uh... Now let's let's move on to Operation Lockstep and let's actually read it. So this is from 2010 and all of this stuff mostly comes from uh, Johns Hopkins University. Uh, I'm just looking at this right now because it says read more and this is below and it says Life After the Pandemic, Volume 1. And Volume 1, oh boy. An exploration of society during and after COVID-19. I bet that's an interesting read. Because sometimes you read their propaganda because they're going to give you tidbits of things that are actually going to happen. And this is why you read, these things are called white papers. Okay, have I explained this to you before? I'm taking a sip. I don't know if I've explained to you what white papers are, but basically these... Um, Whatever it is, the FDA, the CDC, the Johns Hopkins University, there are usually universities involved in stuff, and they'll write up these, like, white papers. That's what they're known as, and they're just long, boring papers in which you can find a lot of very valuable information about things that are being planned. Okay? Things that are not public knowledge. Let's be honest, the public is not going to read these things. They're long and boring. But that's why you have these people who are these analysts and people like, you know, James Corbett or Jay Dyer or whatever, and they'll actually read them. And the power elite people are like, no one's going to read this shit. And then these guys read it and they're like, whatever. It's just a few people reading it. But then those guys explain it to everyone. I'm getting so much congestion the more that I do this. And I'm sorry. You got to deal with this Jewy voice right now. It's getting Jewier by the moment. And it's going to get even worse when I read this. So a lot of people say, um, and it seems, you know, I mean, maybe it'll seem clear to us once we read this. A lot of people say that 
This is from a white paper in 2010 where they described something called Operation Lockstep. And um, the thing is called, oh, it's from the Rockefeller Foundation. Ooh, spicy. It's called Scenarios for the Future of Te Technology and International Development. And it's for the Global Business Network. Okay, so this is what I mean by a white paper. It's something like this. From the Rockefeller Foundation, brought to you by... <coughs> it's called Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development for the Global Business Network. And it's a 54-page manual. And within it, they describe a few scenarios. So I'll give you the contents. Um... Leather from Judith Rodin, letter from Peter Schwartz. Introduction, why scenarios? Why technology? The focal question, engaging your imagination. And then, the scenario framework, choosing the critical uncertainties, global, political, and economic alignment, adaptive capacity. And then we have the scenario narratives, lockstep, clever together, Hack attack, smart scramble, and then concluding thoughts. Now, based on what I was listening to Jay Dyer explain this on his podcast, there are four scenarios here, right? Lockstep, clever together, ha hack attack, I was going to say heart attack, smart scramble. And um, it seems that the one that they decided to go with here is lockstep and um, let's read it and see if we can figure out why people so many people think that this is what happened here this will be interesting i think we'll have fun lockstep a world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback what's that about dude In 2012, the pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit. Well, they were a little wrong on the year. But um, let's see. Unlike 2009's H1N1, this new influenza strain originating from wild geese or pangolins. I added that part. Was extremely virulent and deadly. I'm guessing that the plan was that COVID-19 was supposed to be more deadly. This is my words. I'm guessing that the plan for COVID-19 was that it was supposed to be like more like a like a 3 to 5% fatality rate instead of like a 0.2 or whatever it is. I'm guessing that they wanted it to be more deadly and that they're mad at those Chinese scientists for not making it deadly enough. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just seven months, the majority of them healthy young adults. Well, that was also pretty... That was pretty wrong, too. The pand Maybe they wanted that. The pandemic also had, deadly effect on, had a deadly effect on economies. International mobility of both people and goods screeched to a halt, debilitating industries like tourism and breaking global supply chains. Well, we've seen that, haven't we? Even locally, normally bustling shops and office buildings sat empty for months. D 
devoid of both employees and customers. That is true, although it wasn't the virus that caused that, it was the government that caused that. Sip. The pandemic blanketed the planet. Though disproportionate numbers died in Africa, Southeast Asia, and Central America, where the virus spread like wildfire in the absence of an official of official containment protocols. See, that's also like a, uh, that's, you know, the cathedral believes that they can um, avert things like this. It's like people who still think that the government can stop climate change if you believe that stuff. But if you really believe in climate change, like if you're one of those devout people, then why would you think that the government would have any success in combating it? Of course they wouldn't, if you actually believe in climate change. And it's the same way, like, if you're one of these pandemic freaks, why would you think that the government would be able to do anything about it? The lockdowns don't work, and the masks don't work, and no mandates work. So, I guess it's more like, why would you think that if the government's botched this... Uh, alleged pandemic so badly, how would they do better with the global catastrophe of climate change? It's a question worth asking. But it seems like in the, the, the death numbers were lower in Africa. Like it wasn't as bad in Africa and Southeast Asia. It was worse in America. Right? But... Even in developed countries, containment was a challenge. The United States' initial policy of strongly discouraging citizens from flying proved deadly in its leniency, accelerating the spread of the virus, not just within the U.S., but across borders. However, a few countries did fare better, China in particular. The Chinese government's quick imposition and enforcement of mandatory quarantine for all citizens, as well as an, its instant and near Hermetic sealing off of all borders saved millions of lives, stopping the spread of the virus far earlier than in other countries and enabling a swifter post-pandemic recovery. Now, consider this, because I had never thought of this before. You know how the pandemic just stopped in China? Here is a theory that I'm going to posit right now, okay? Maybe there was never a virus at all. I mean, maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. Either can exist for this to be a possibility. Two options. One, there was never a pandemic at all, and this was all contrived, and it's all in order to make China look better and make authoritarian measures look better in terms of containing a virus to sway public opinion in that direction. Say, look, we don't want to have authoritarian governments, but at least it's safe. Look, at least there's less people dying there. And so when they just cut off the cases in, uh, in China, when China made all those, um, you know, China did all what, what China does, then maybe that was just to make China's form of authoritarianism look more favorable to people like in the United States and other places where we ordinarily wouldn't like that so much. Because it's like either A, there was never a pandemic and so they just stopped faking it in China at that time. Or B, there is a pandemic and people were still dying in China. But China or whoever um, is calling the shots or whatever groups are calling the shots said, hey, China, ease up, ease up. Start telling them that no one else is dying, even if they are. Just start telling them that no one else is dying. We got to make you, we're going to make you guys look really good for what you're doing. We're going to make you look really good. Okay. We want to make the American slaves a little bit more like the Chinese slaves. Does that sound good with you guys? And the Chinese are like, sounds good. 
We'll cut off the cases tomorrow. And then they just stop, you know? Sip. I'm talking a lot because we're going fast. I need lots of water. I think this whole locked up thing is, is like five pages. So we can, we'll go through as much as we'd like here. I, I don't have to read the whole thing. We were, we're already about an hour, but we'll, let's keep going. Cause I haven't talked to you in a while. I'll do as much as my body's going to allow me to do right now. China's govern, government was the, was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk to exposure. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions from the mandatory wearing of face masks. I need one of those bells that Adam Curry has. I need one of the bells. Fuck. Ding, 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 ding. From the mandatory wearing of face masks, ding, 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 to body temperature checks, ding, 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 lower ding, lower ding, big ding on the, big ding on the face mask, at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. This, this is going to suck to read right now. I just read the first four words and this is going to just suck to read. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified. Huh. Now I'm starting to see why people are pointing to this document as being pretty prophetic. In order to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems from pandemics and transitional terrorism, transnational terrorism, to environmental crises and rising poverty, le leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. Ugh. It's so annoying. <laughs> Hold on, I have to check something really quick, really quick. And we're good. Uh, let's continue. Even though, like, how would you, uh, never mind. At first, the notion of a more controlled world gained wide acceptance and approval. Citizens willingly gave up some of their sovereignty and their privacy and started watching their wives get fucked. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I added that to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater state safety and stability, because we're all retarded. And that's why democracy fails. I added that part too. Citizens were more tolerant and even eager for top-down direction and oversight, and national leaders had more latitude to impose order in the ways they saw fit. In developed countries, this heightened, oh, this heightened oversight took many forms. Biometric IDs for all citizens. Ding, 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 ding. I can't believe all this stuff is in here. Biometric IDs, ding, 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 for all citizens, for example, and tighter regulation of key industries whose stability was deemed vital to national interests. In many, well, you know, you could see that, I mean, they tightened the grip on the private sector continuously for decades, but it's like that latest bailout when they bailed out the airline companies, for example. Well, now the government has their foot even or, or their grip even tighter on the airline industries because you don't like it's not like the government's like here okay bye you know like it's obviously it's for a reason taking a sip in many developed countries enforced cooperation with a suite of new regulations and agreements 
slowly but steadily restored both order and, importantly, economic growth. And you want to talk about the suite of new regulations and agreements? That's that $3.5 trillion uh, budget reconciliation they're trying to pass. That includes so much garbage and weird shit. And we should go over that, but it's two and a half thousand pages. So I can't read you the whole thing. But let me find what's what's good in that. And then maybe I'll report back to you on it. But hopefully it just doesn't get passed at all. But you know, they're going to force it through. They're going to figure out a way. Across the developing world, however, the story was different and much more variable. Top-down authority took different forms in different countries, hinging largely, largely on the capacity, caliber, and intentions of their leaders in countries or of the United States, because, you know, I should say the CIA. In countries with strong and thoughtful leaders, citizens' overall economic status and quality of life increased. Wow. In India, for example, air quality drastically improved after 2016 when the government outlawed high-emitting vehicles. I don't think that happened. But obviously this was written in 2010, and this is a scenario. In Ghana, the introduction of ambitious government programs to improve basic infrastructure and ensure the availability of clean water for all her people led to a sharp decline in waterborne diseases. But more authoritarian leadership worked less well. Weird way to phrase that. And in some cases, tragically, in countries run by irresponsible elites. <clears throat> who use their increased power to pursue their own interests at the expense of their citizens. But who would do that? Luckily, we don't live in a country like that. There were other downsides, as the rise of virulent nationalism created new hazards. Spectators at the 2018 World Cup, for example, wore bulletproof vests that sported a patch of their national flag. Weird prediction there, Rockefeller Foundation. Strong technology regulations stifled innovation, kept costs high, and curbed adoption. In the developing world, the access to approved technologies increased, but beyond that remained limited. The locus of technology innovation was largely in the developed world, leaving many developed countries on the receiving end of technologies that others consider best for them. What is this? This is getting less interesting now. Oh, you know what? It actually only has like a page. It only, uh, oh, it's going to get, maybe it'll get interesting again. Let's keep reading and let's see what happens. I mean, whatever. You could tune out now if you want to, but I think it might get good because I just looked at the next page. I'll get through it quick. Some governments found this patronizing and refused to distribute computers and other technologies that they scoffed as at as second hand. Meanwhile, developing countries with more resources and a better capacity to be to innovate began to innovate internally to fill these gaps in their own. Meanwhile, in the developed world, the presence of so many top-down rules and norms greatly inhibited entrepreneurial activity. Scientists, I, I'm going to skip this paragraph because it's just not, not interesting. Um, acting in one's national self in South America and Africa, regional Kenya doubled its trade with the southern and southeast Africa and China's investment as a bargain and jobs and infrastructure. 
By 2025, people seem to be growing weary of so much top-down control and letting leaders and authorities make choices for them. Wow, so it's only going to take three and a half more years, guys. Are you stoked or what? Wherever national interests class with individual interests, there was conflict. Imagine that. Sporadic pushback became increasingly organized and coordinated as disaffected youth and people who had seen their status and opportunities slip away, largely in developing countries, incited civil unrest. I also don't like the word incited. These people view us all as um, um, like just cattle or slaves. So they don't like civil unrest. You, as an individual, may like civil unrest, but to them, you are not an individual. To the Rockefeller Foundation, you're inciting civil unrest. You're not engaging in civil unrest, which is your right. You are inciting civil unrest. In 2026, protesters in Nigeria brought down the government, fed up with the entrenched cronyism and corruption. Hopefully that'll happen here. I mean, no, I shouldn't have said that. Sorry, sorry, FBI. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Even those who liked the greater stability and predictability of this world began to grow uncomfortable and constrained by so many tight rules and by the strictness of national boundaries. The feeling lingered that sooner or later, something would inevitably upset the neat order that the world's governments had worked so hard to establish. They worked so hard. Why are you ruining it? Why are you ruining it? Hang on. I needed another sip. Um, the role of philanthropy in lockstep. Philanthropic organizations will face hard choices in this world. Given the strong role of governments, doing philanthropy will require heightened diplo diplomacy skills and the ability to operate effectively in extremely divergent environments. Philanthropy, guarant wait, grantee, what, okay. And civil society will be strong, uh, relation, okay. It's like, I probably should have read this first to figure out what would be important to tell you, but we're doing it together and we're doing it live and uh, I hope that's okay. Um, philanthropic organizations interested in promoting universal rights and freedoms will get blocked at many nations' borders. Well, there aren't any of those, are there? I feel like the only human rights organizations are very interested in, in making sure that humans do not have rights. Have you guys noticed that? Has any, hey, has anyone noticed that? Hey, has anyone noticed that? <coughs> I'm losing it. I'm losing it, dude. I'm taking so many steps of water. Many governments will place severe restrictions on the program areas and geographies that international philanthropies can work in. Technology in lockstep. While there is no way of accurately predicting what the important technological advancements will be in the future, yeah, sure, Rockefeller Institution. Okay. The scenario narratives point to areas where conditions may enable or, ex or accelerate the development of certain kinds of technologies. Um, technological innovation in lockstep is largely driven by the government and is focused on issues of national security and health and safety. We just want you to be safe. We just want you to be safe. 
Most technological improvements are created by and for developed countries shaped by governments' dual desire to control and monitor their citizens. In states, see, this is why they, they don't want you to read it, because it's like, they're just like, oh, we're just, oh, we're just throwing this out there. It's like, we're just offering this. It could, it could happen. I mean, it's like, we don't want it to. In states with poor governance, large-scale projects that fail to progress abound. Uh, scanners, okay, here's some technology trends and applications we might see. Scanners using advanced functional magnetic resonance imaging technology become the norm at airports and other pu public areas to detect abnormal behavior that may indicate antisocial intent. No more being awkward at the airport. You will be arrested as a terrorist. Why are you walking with your head down? Why don't you smile at people? You're arrested. Put your mask on. Number two, in the aftermath of pandemic scares, smarter packaging for food and beverages is applied first by big companies and producers in a business-to-business -business environment and then adopted for individual products and consumer. What do you mean smarter packaging? I don't get that. Three, new diagnostics are developed to detect communicable disease. It's like a PCR test? I mean, that's not new, but... The application of health screening also changes. Screening becomes a prerequisite for release from a hospital or prison, successfully slowing the spread of many diseases. Weird stuff, man. Four, telepresence technologies respond to the demand for less expensive, lower bandwidth, sophisticated communication systems for populations whose travel is restricted. I don't know what that one means. If you can interpret that, go for it. And last one, driven by protectionism and national security concerns, nations create their own independent, regionally defined IT networks mimicking China's firewalls. Oh, that's good. Governments have varying degrees of success in policing internet traffic, but those efforts nevertheless fracture the World Wide Web. Well, look, I mean, I don't think I talked to you about this. This is, I think, where we end it. This is the end of lockstep, I believe. Oh, wait. Dude, should we read this one? Um, should we read this one? Uh, one of the most... Uh, Manisha had joined the... G uh, I think we got to read this. Hold on. Let me take you for a walk with me. We got to go get more water. Is that okay? Here, take a walk and we'll talk about this. The thing, I don't know if you guys know, um, in Australia, do you like this? Do you like walking with me? I'm like living life. I'm like out and living life. You guys are here with me? Just getting some more water. You know, in Australia, they like block, like you can't do Facebook Live, like for these protests. They're not allowing you to do Facebook Live and they're not allowing, like they shut down. I mean, this is kind of related to what's going on here. Like they shut down internet in certain places. People are so savvy that they're able to get around it and get this information out. But yeah, I mean, the stuff they were doing in Australia, they even had a no-fly zone. 
over the protests because they don't want drone footage, because they want no footage getting out. I mean, Australia, like, you get to watch it, dude. Do you like 1984? Do you like uh, authoritarian uh, dystopian fictions? Because I do. You get to watch it live. So please pay attention to what's going on in Australia because you get to watch it live, and it's pretty interesting. I'm taking a sip of my new water. I think, um, I think we should, um, this is the last part. It's called Life in Lockstep, and I think we should read it. And where are we at? We're at an hour and 12. Okay. Let's, let's do it then. Life in Lockstep. Manisha gazed out on the Ganges River, mesmerized by what she saw. But I love how they just like write, they do like fiction. That was an interesting, uh, that was an interesting choice. Back in 2010, when she was 12 years old, her parents had brought her to this river so she could bathe in its holy waters. But standing at the edge, Manisha had been afraid. It wasn't the depth of the river or its currents that had scared her, but the water itself. It's murky. It was murky and brown and smelled pungently of trash and dead things. Manisha had balked, but her mother had pushed her forward, shouting that this river flowed from the lotus feet of Vishnu and that she should be honored to enter it. Along with millions of Hindus, her mother believed the Ganges water could cleanse a person's soul of all its sins and even cure the sick. So Manisha had grudgingly dunked herself in the river, accidentally swallowing water in the process, receiving a bad case of Giardia. Did I say that right? Giardia? And months of diarrhea as a result. Sorry, girl. Remembering that experience is what made today so remarkable. It was now 2025. Manisha was 27 years old. They're writing in the passive past tense. This terrible fiction writing. Stephen King would eviscerate this. It was now 2025. It was now 2025. It was now 2025. That's one of the worst sentences I've ever read. Do better, Rockefeller Foundation. Manisha was 27 years old, and a man, but it's now. It was now 25, 25. Manisha was 27 years old, but I thought it was now. Isn't she 27 years old? Maybe I'm just being a dick. I don't know. Manisha was 27-year-old, terrible writing, and a manager for the Indian government's Ganges Purification Initiative. Until recently, the Ganges was still one of the most polluted rivers in the world. Its coliform bacteria levels astronomical due to the frequent disposal of human and animal corpses and of sewage. Dozens of organizers attempted to clean the Ganges over the years but had failed. In 2009, the World Bank, Bank, the World Bank even loaned India one billion dollars, a whole one billion dollars, to support the government's multi-billion-dollar cleanup initiative. But then the pandemic hit, and that funding dried up. But what didn't dry up was the Ganges River. No, I, I just said that. I don't know. But what didn't dry up was the government's commitment to cleaning the Ganges. Now, not just an issue of public health, but increasingly one of national pride. 
Manisha had joined the GPI, Ganges Purification Initiative, in 2020, in part because she was so impressed by the government's strong stance on restoring the ecological health of India's most treasured resource. Many, many lives in her home city of Jaipur had been saved by the government's quarantines during the pandemic, and that experience thought Manisha, had given the government the confidence to be so strict about river usage now. How else could they get millions of Indian citizens to completely shift their cultural practices in relationship to a holy site? Discarding ritually burned bodies in the Ganges was now illegal, punishable by years of jail time. Companies found to be dumping waste of any kind in the river were immediately shut down by the government. There were also severe restrictions on whether people could on where people could bathe and where they could wash their clothing. Every 20 meters along the river was marked by a sign outlining the repercussions of disrespecting India's most treasured natural resource. Of course, not everyone liked it. Protests flared every so often, but no one could deny that the Ganges was looking more beautiful and healthier than ever. Okay, so um, there's one paragraph left, but whatever, it's fine. Um, but I think the point there, um, to look out for what's interesting is that, um, you know, or of that story, the point of that story, it's like, oh, it's this happy story. It's like the pandemic and the government took more control, but in the end the the river's clean. So it's good that the government, it's good, you know, like that's what's going on there. So they're going to justify it. So they're going to say, I mean, this has obviously been um, it's been brought up by a lot of people that I listen to as a potential possibility where they'll look back and they'll say, you know, the lockdowns weren't so great in terms of the pandemic. But when we're looking at the numbers, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere was so much lower. And it's the best thing we've ever done for climate change. The best thing we ever did for climate change was shutting down the global economy and creating lockdowns. It it healed the earth. It healed the earth. And so that's where they could take it. Now, we don't know if they're going to spin it in that direction. We don't know where they're going to go with it. And we don't know if they're going to run this back because one other thing that we have here, which is the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, and I found this because this was brought to my attention by Ian, my friend Ian, the SPARS pandemic of 2025 to 2028. A futuristic scenario for pu public health risk communicators. We can no longer look at these scenario things like they're just that, like they're just that. We can no longer really do that. It's over for that. These need to be looked at as like predictive programming, like they... Or I guess it wouldn't be predictive programming because it's not for the masses. We need to start looking at these like, as game plans. So the SPARS pandemic of 2025 to 2028, this is written. <laughs> we're not going to read this, obviously. It's 89 pages, but um, it's from John Hopkins University. You can look it up. Type in the SPARS pandemic, S-P-A-R-S, 2025 to 2028. And you can find the PDF file here. And this is from 2017. And we know what happened right before the coronavirus pandemic, if you want to call it that. We know what happened right before that was um, event 201. And honestly, what's becoming clearer is that there was already 
you know what they like the perception from a lot of people and from myself until recently was that they did event 201 before it even started in China, but they probably knew and it was probably already going on in China if there was a pandemic at all. They probably knew something was going on in China. So they go, they go, 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 go. It's happening. We got to do the rehearsal. We got to do the rehearsal. It'd be like if you were preparing for a play. It'd be like if you were preparing for a play and it was supposed to be the um, the opening night is supposed to be on uh, the 30th of September. Today is the 30th of September. But something happened and now it has to be on the 26th of September. But it's already the 20, 24th of September. We have to do this rehearsal right now. Go, 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 go. We have to do it. You know, like they got, they had the, that was what Event 201 was. But either way, it was a rehearsal. In hindsight, it was clearly a rehearsal. And um, so, you know, whether or not they knew it was already going on, I'm not sure. Or they just knew they were about to do it. That's a, that's a question. I'm not sure which is which. But, you know, it, this is why it's useful to, you know, see what's going on with these white papers. What are they talking about? The sparse pandemic. Is this just a new reality where every five years we get a new pandemic? Is this going to be the new thing? Because... In the, you know, as um, we're so advanced, we're so technologically advanced, we're such an advanced society that now instead of uh, giant global pandemics happening every hundred years, they happen every five years because we're so clean now and we're so advanced technologically. Thank goodness for us. Thank goodness for all of our advancements. We've turned the 100 year pandemic into a every five-year pandemic, good on us. That's going to be it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I think I powered through it and and the, the voice, I don't know if you noticed, we gained a little bit more um, body to it. And so maybe that'll persist. Maybe I'm just pushing my way through this, whatever this is. It's not whatever it is. It's just a little under the weatherness. It's fine. It'll be better in a few hours. All right. Well, there's so many other things that I didn't even get to that I would like to get to. Um, and we're going to, I know I kept telling you we're going to do book club and we are going to do book club. I'm going to record that episode. So I actually did this book and it'll be more spiritual, high frequency because I'm giving you too much of this low frequency, negative energy stuff. But I do want you to be aware of it. I want you to be aware of it. And I found that really interesting, that little lockstep thing. And you can see why people point to that as being something that was important. Um, and that's why you like having these people out here looking at all these white papers, seeing what's going on. It's the same way, like, that bill, that infrastructure bill that Biden's talking about, that's two and a half thousand pages. People are going to look at it, thankfully. I'm not going to fucking do that. I can't read two, that two and a half thousand pages. Something I, I could barely read, a, a, you know, I could read a thousand pages if it's like Stephen King. But not if it's that, not if it's, uh, I guess it could be, you know, it's just like a, not a bill. Who wants to read? But people will do it. There's a lot of people out there who are nuts and they'll do it. And then they'll tell us what's important within the bill. And then they'll cite it and they'll say, well, if you go to page 865, check that shit out. And then you can actually, you don't have to just take their word for it, but they're just going to parse it out and they're going to find out what's important and what's noteworthy and then bring that to people's attention. And that's what's important. You got people doing this with white papers as well. 
So the book club, um, first episode, now I was reading this book called Think on These Things by Krishnamurti, and it's just a collection of speeches that he gave, and it was getting too repetitive, so I did stop reading it, but I read enough of it that I could do an episode on it, and it'll be a pretty long episode, and it'll touch some pretty interesting things, and like his perception on freedom, that was my favorite, I think, part of it. So um, I'll read that, I could read that. Maybe I'll do it. I'll record it right now and just release it another day. But I should probably I should probably wait till maybe tomorrow. Whatever. Okay, I'll figure it out. Listen, you know I love you. You know I love you, and thank you so much for listening. And uh, you know you want to make a donation. You want me to talk about something? Just Venmo David Dash Namery. You could even just hit me up. You could DM me on Instagram. You don't have to make a donation if you ask me to talk about something. Oh, I fucking forgot to talk about the thing. I, Aaron and I were talking about. Aaron, I'll talk about it, I promise, dude. I'm sorry. Um, I should start writing notes down. I did. I did for this episode. I kind of had notes. So I'm going to do that more. I'm going to get better, guys. I'm going to get better. I'm going to continue to get better. And you're going to continue to get better as an audience, right? Or bigger, at least, I hope. Um, So my bad, Aaron. But I'll get to it, I promise. And, yeah, so if you want me to talk about something, like you don't even have to donate. I mean, like, I love donations and shit. It's very helpful. But you don't have to donate. You could just hit me up and, like, ask me to talk about something. I'm, if I'm interested in talking about it, I will. So, anyway, I love you. Thanks for listening. And, uh, bye.